contractors always push back on them. Like that's completely unreasonable. I'm like, well, think about it from my perspective. You're 60 days late with a project that was supposed to deliver in August so I could lease for September 1st. You've now delivered that project to me on Thanksgiving day. I've literally lost five or $6 million in rent. The $10,000 LD doesn't scratch the surface of it, right? So when you look at it from the owner's perspective, it doesn't even, it's just, it's barely like a, a drop in the bucket. Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 67 with your hosts, Mark Savatsky from Choose Boston. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. And joining us today is our guest. Mike Procopio, the Procopio Company. In yes. person. Yes. In person. We're back. The CEO of the Procopio Company is. True. Freshly minted. Nice. Did you change your business cards yet? Like everything else in the world, the paper for my business cards is out of stock. Hmm. Yeah, the supply chain. <laughs> the supply chain. That's just and like a go-to excuse now. It's like, yeah. oh, sorry, it's just out of stock. Sorry, it's out of stock. I'm like, it's paper. Do you really think I care what paper it's printed on? And when it comes back in stock, it'll be 190% <laughs> more expensive. That's exactly right. So this is the first time we're, we've recorded in person for like 18 months. It's exciting. It, it is good. exciting. I'm sorry, we're all vaccinated. Um, we should have had champagne. Mm -hmm. we, we should have. We have some. We do actually have one <laughs> bottle of champagne that was supposed to be for something that happened. I think it was just a holiday gift. All right, so let's go kick it off here, guys. Awesome. How, how's it been? You're, you're back, second episode. Does it feel any different than the first time? Nah, it feels good. Yeah. The new studio is amazing. Thanks. You like it? Thank you. Exposed break. I won't read into anything that I've been on the podcast now the same number of times as Ted Ties. <laughs> <laughs> He's an avid listener, so we'll probably have something to talk about. So, so how are things doing? How are you doing? Good. How's, how's, good. how's Busy. We're really, really, we're really busy. Weird times, though. Like, like... The, the construction costs, I don't know what we're going to dive into, but like construction costs are so crazy right now that we're in that weird position of having to kill projects, change projects, you know, the awkward position of having raised money and sucked money in. And then you're looking at projects and trying to figure out like, does this even work anymore? It's mm -hmm. just, a, it's a weird spot. I like Steel and lumber. I don't know. I didn't bring the crystal ball, but now, how, how it's, it's a tough you, thing to figure out. How are you out. underwriting stuff or are you even underwriting just stuff? At, right, at this point, like massive contingencies. Mm -hmm. Massive contingencies. We have like escalation contingencies. We just can't even, you could never predict. Like you go back six months or eight months, even if you had sat down to say, what should my escalation, it never would have been enough. I mean, it was only a month and a half ago that lumber futures were at 800, which was yeah. almost three times what they were before. I think yesterday I checked they're at 1600. 1600. It's insane. And everybody was saying when they hit 1300, I was getting emails from all the lumber suppliers. It's impossible to go higher. It can't go any higher. It's going to come back down. What, yeah. goes, what goes up must come down. We're at 1600. You've right. got to be kidding. I'm wondering right. if lumber companies are all, it's almost like the, the gas pipeline that uh, got hacked over the weekend. This will probably be old news when it comes out. But, but regardless, I wonder if it's almost like that where like everybody's going into panic mode and all the suppliers and lumber. It's the toilet paper and they, COVID. They want to yeah. stock up so they can have inventory that they can sell to their customers. Is everybody just ordering materials? We should probably fin get a guest on to figure this. We should crack the code here. Get a lumber guy. Investigative reporting. Yeah. But it's, and it's trickling down. So you can't get, there's so much supply chain issues right now. Lumber and steel are only two of them. We can't get furniture. Right. We can't even get, we can't get appliances. Can't appliances. get appliances. Like this, this is, it's beyond COVID. I, like, I don't know what, I, I don't know what the issues are in some of those supply chains, but you know, you can't, how can you build with this? How can you build a wood frame project that barely, barely penciled, you know, yield on cost, really, really skinny. Like that's how all projects are right now. Cause cap rates are so compressed. Like every, every deal is skinny. And now you're, oh, oh, you missed your lumber by a million bucks. Like, 
Are you starting to see sellers take concessions or prices no. go down at all? No. So, so, so it's just impossible. No, we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing we're seeing sellers entrench. You know, we we launched an offer, like a soft offer, to a guy who approached us on a piece of land, and uh, we penciled it out, and we were like, it's 50, 60 units, and we gave him an offer. We like we'd be in the one point eight to, to two and a half million range, somewhere in there is what we'd be talking about. Came back asking for seven. That's not even a joke. Seven million. We're just like, like, like wait, okay, wait, have a you, nice day. Yeah, like, what do you even do with that? And it's because I think I think sellers still think that it's really frothy out there and that everybody's going to be rabid buyers. Mm-hmm. Buyers are pulling back and saying, we can't get the projects to pencil out. You know, one in 10 is still penciling out. That's not sustainable. How much of it do you think is inflation? I think a lot of it's inflation. I do too. I think a lot of it's inflation. I mean, the, 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 the way we measure inflation you know, from a government perspective is really flawed, right? Milk and eggs. I mean, yeah. inflation should not be measured in milk and eggs. That's a very narrow look at what inflation is when you're determining policy and saying, you know, inflation's at an acceptable level because milk and eggs are, are hovering around 4% price increases. I think lump, lumber's a good example, steel's a good example. It impacts things, you know, across the boarding back, impacts vehicle prices, impacts housing prices, impacts rents. That's a much more accurate gauge of inflation. And as we've pointed out, that stuff's up triple digits. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with our lumber Monthly. company. Yeah. My, my rep is a good friend and we're doing a big project and they came back with a huge increase and we we're talking to the general manager and he basically just said to me plainly, he's like, listen, I have X number of two by fours. I'm going to sell those for that price. If I give you $1 off, I'm just giving you money. I, this isn't a deal to be had because all the supply I have will be spoken for within the next 24 hours. It's yeah. all I can do to get material. Yep. They're not holding prices. If they can even get it, you're paying absolute top dollar. We're having groups come to us that previously would have, they wouldn't have guaranteed maybe the maximum price. There's a couple companies that will, mm-hmm. but they'd give you the quote and at least they'd guarantee the unit price, right? And they say, okay, well, you know, your takeoff shows you need 6,000 two by fours and those are going to be $3 and 67 cents. They won't even do that. They're just saying, yeah, we'll take your lumber order. It's going to get priced the day it leaves the yard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're taking on all the risk. <laughs> And you can't like we're back to we're back to forgetting about panelization. We're mm. stick we're stick framing stuff. Big projects that we would never six months ago I would have looked at you like you're nuts if you said I was going to stick frame it. We're back to stick framing it. That's going to create a labor problem because it, it's different crews. You need mm. real framers to stick frame stuff. It's not panel jockeys right. that just throw up panels. And so now you're going to create a labor timelines. problem. Increases timelines mm-hmm. by a couple of months. Increases general conditions. We're still saving money on it right now because mm. of how high the panel shop prices are. But it's ridiculous. Steel's, steel is worse in some ways. We've got the, the big project in Lynn that uses the uh, a Volcraft bar joist product for the floor assembly, we can't get them till, the earliest we could take delivery now is Q4 because Amazon's buying so many bar joists for distribution centers. Wow. So, so like it's this, this compounding group of issues, right? Inflation, crazy demand, limited suppliers. So from a business perspective, how, if you already have stuff permitted or entitled and you already own it, what are your, what are you doing? How are you pivoting? Uh, it's limited options. So if it's, if it's a, if it's a mark, so some of our smaller projects were take, so we've got, we've got some projects we've escaped by the skin of our teeth, right? Like we just hit the timing, right? Like our mosaic project in Lynn, we missed on the, uh, we missed on steel and we missed on lumber both by 8%, but overall had over a, a million five in buy savings. So just happened to hit it right. Some projects were, were taking a hit. Our, you know, our Wilmington project, we've got a $900,000 bust just on the lumber line. And that's a relatively small project. That's a $13 million project. So that's a huge miss. You know, we're going to still do the project. 
what we're trying to figure out is, does the money come out of our pocket or does the money, you know, do we go to the bank and say, hey guys, look, we know what's going on. Can we upsize the loan? Like, what are the options here? Can we upsize half of it? And then half of it goes in as equity. And then there's a certain number of projects that are just going to die. They're going to get killed. I mean, we're, we're a big project in Lynn that, you know, we're not putting it on the market tomorrow because we think it's the wrong time to sell it, but it's going on ice. Mm. And um, it's pencils down and we're going to tell everybody it's working on it. No more of these monthly bills. It's going to just sit there for four months, five months, six months. And we'll see where we are at the end of that. But And these are directly caused by sh- shortages. This is direct, this, these are, these are directly related to construction costs. There's yeah. no other reason to be killing the projects. The pro forma still works at the original cost. I mean, to, to put it in context, we have a big project in Lynn, another high rise that we, we were doing over there. We own the land. It's fully permitted not even just entitled, we have a building permit on it. The original costs when we looked at it were 80 million. We jumped the, for, for like the core, just the hard cost, just the construction cost. We jumped that through the process up to 85 million and then got it to 90 million with estimates along the way, right? Like your SD set estimate and your, see, the GMP comes in at 103. Like, I, like you, can't, <laughs> you can't cut your way out of that. You can't VE your way out of yeah, that. Yeah, that's a like, 25% increase. Right, it, the only way to get out of that is massive scope cuts. Like, oh, we're going to build half as much parking or we're going to build half as tall of a building, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, then the pro forma doesn't work. So those kind of projects are just going to die. And they're not, they're not, there's no other way to make them work. Demand destruction right there. You heard it first. And then the other question is like, eventually people, some, some say will come down eventually, but I don't know. I think that once you get those prices, it's tough no. to then. It, no, you know, no, way. no, it's like gas, prices. Bucks it's like gas prices, right? We were all paying 99. I remember when, when I got my license, gas was 99 cents a gallon, right? Yeah. And then gas, whatever runs up to like four bucks a gallon and everybody's fed up and then it comes down and we're all super happy to pay three bucks a gallon. Exactly. Now. It's like, that's what lumber's gonna do. Lumber, yeah. Lumber's been around 300. Yeah. <laughs> now it's 1600. We're all gonna be popping corks off of champagne when it's 1200. It's like, wait a minute, this is still twice what it should be, three times what it should be, right? It's ridiculous and yet we're all suckers. We're gonna be happy about it. Yeah, and it's putting a strain on housing. It's gonna put a st- major strain on housing supply, especially up around here. I mean, Mike's project's a perfect example. That's a number of, a significant That's number That's 320 of units. units that will not yeah. come online. Let me ask you this, not to keep berating this whole supply thing, but I see a lot of TikToks, I see a lot of pictures, I see a lot of hubbubaloo. People hubba-baloo. are going to, I just drove by a lumber yard, you know, granted yeah, it's in New Hampshire, TikTok. whatever. And it's like, oh, why are lumber prices so high? Everything is stocked. There's so much, there's so much supply. So I don't understand. Is it outside of New England or, or what is going on here? Because I use the word hubbubaloo. Yeah, hubbubaloo. That's, that's a word. Right. I hope we get a review directly. Uh, I'm still not no, sure. Yeah, what are you? What Ray, are you? <laughs> essentially, Ray drove by a lumber yard and there was wood on the racks. No, what I'm confused. saying is, no, no, guys. I want that wood. <laughs> Send it to my job. They're saying there's no supply, <laughs> and yet I'm not seeing empty shelves everywhere. I'm seeing Well, it's because the pricing is what it That's is. That's because the price, they're, they're yeah. actually, that, like, price elasticity, yeah. they're, they're keeping the pricing right where it should be. Like, not, I don't like it, but they're riding that price curve up. You would see nothing on the shelves if two-by-fours were still $2.96, right? It would be, it would be cleared of out. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. So, I mean, I cannot imagine, I don't know, I don't, I'm not in the... Uh, I'm not in the home renovation space. I can't imagine people are putting decks on their houses. I can't imagine people are building additions. I'm the fool that's building a house, but <laughs> like I can't imagine people are looking at what like what it would cost you on an addition right now, what your lumber bill would be. I mean, I took the numbers we talked about for a house and I doubled mm-hmm. the lumber number. Yeah. I just said, I, I don't know where this is gonna come in mm-hmm. and I don't know when I'm gonna do this, but I can't carry what we thought was normal. My parents uh, are looking to renovate their, ma- their primary bathroom. And it's like a, tie, a three by three stall shower and like a five by five bathroom. They got a quote for 30 grand, not <laughs> including like, materials. Just labor. Just, just labor. 
I'm telling you. Like I, what? Material I, prices are just like seafood prices at the restaurant, market price. You, market don't, even, price. you don't even get a number anymore. But that is literally Here's what I, the receipt. That, that's exactly how I feel the lumber yards are now. They're like, they're like, oh, well, why does it matter what our two by four is? Like, we don't know what you're going to pay. Market price. Just might as well just put MP next to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> are you seeing market shift in terms of people coming back to the city, people renting again, you know? So- How's the, the Lynn project going? Yeah, so Lynn, uh, Caldwell's going gangbusters now. So that was a really slow start to that lease up. It was slow, you know, I think it was slow for a few reasons. It was in the winter. Mm-hmm. It was still heavily under construction. It's really hard to do vertical phasing where, you know, you got guys hanging off the building on swing staging and you're mm-hmm. supposed to pretend like you're open and like all normal. Since we've got the whole building turned over and basically a full CO on the building, including the roof and the pool and stuff. The pool. That's a nice feature. The pool being filled up may have been heavily correlated. Leasing has been gangbusters. They did 12 leases last week. Nice. Eight leases the week before. A whole bunch of like five to eight lease weeks. I mean, that's trending 20 to 30 leases a month, which is well above what we underwrote. I mean, we we typically would pro forma like 17, 18 a month in those big projects. And for the most part, face rents have held. So it's a concession game. You know, we're offering two months on most of the units. And we're, we're amortizing that into the net effective. We're letting people pay the lower rate. And we're actually advertising the net effective, which is pretty unique in this market. A lot of other markets, it's pretty common to advertise the net effective rent, calculate out what it is net of the concessions. You want to slow that down They don't feel like that's yeah. bait and switch almost? When no. You so we have to, you have to do a really good job of explaining okay. it. It's only unique here. Okay. Very common in New York. Very common in other markets. Where, yes. So if, you're, if, you're, if your market rent is 2000 a month and you're offering, uh, so that's 24000 a year and you're offering two months free concessions, what you're saying is what you're really, what you're really renting is 22,000 a year. Now divide that by 12. I'm not good enough to do that math live, but say it yields, say it yields a monthly rent price of 1,900. We're advertising the 1,900. We're saying it's net of concessions. And then we're having that conversation with the, with the prospective renter. So they understand like the actual price is 2,000 a month. We're going to pay 1,900. And on your renewal, it's going to be based on the on the 2000 and on your qualification, we're qualifying you on the 2000 mm. because that's mm. what your renewal is going to be at. And uh, it's unique. It's not, we're not the only ones doing it here, but it is relatively unique in the Boston market and very common elsewhere. Are they 12 month leases or are you making them like 14 to, because I know New York so does we would, that. Yeah, we would, we would, if it's a 12 month that we were going to offer concessions on, we would make them a 14. We also do pretty active lease management. So we don't want them turning at the same time or we want to strategically have them turn at the right time. So, you know, at any given point of the year, Maybe we're only off, we're offering, you know, 14s and 16s, but then at a different time of the year, maybe we're offering 12s and 18s or 18s and 15s, right? It, it just, it varies on base what, what the needs are for how we want to turn the units. You don't want a bunch of turnovers during Thanksgiving and right. the, the, the last, New the Year's. Worst, the worst thing, exactly. The worst thing you want is a bunch of turns in December, yeah. right after, or even November, right after Thanksgiving. You won't lease that until April, right? In a best case scenario. So, so. I'm assuming, because obviously the Boston market or the smaller landlords follow more of like the school, the college cycle where it's like, yep. you know, September 1st, oh, to August too. 31st. Okay. So oh, I, did, too. Oh, I yeah. didn't know if, um, larger builds yeah. Oh, yeah. or, okay. So yeah. you try to follow that model Absolutely. as well. Yeah. We still, we still, the, the ideal time for me to have a unit come available is like end of July. Nice. And when you're charging and charging it to September 1st. I'm sure the net net of concessions disclosure footnote is is in bold and large letters. Yes, yeah. yes, very. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very sure there's prominent part of the conversation. I'm sure there's an initial or two uh, that go yeah. near there too. Indeed. Hey, so you guys are hiring for seemingly like 16 different positions right now. Yeah. A lot of growth going on. Can you tell us about sort of the, the vision for the company and uh, how you're going about filling all these seats? Yeah. So we've as we've grown, 
we still do work in a, in a bunch of big buckets. So we're doing project sizes from like 30. I think right now we have projects from like 30 units to 320. Bigger projects were just the developer, right? So it's our money. We'll go out and get the capital partners and we'll, um, and we'll hire a GC to build them typically. Below 150 units, we will likely will build it ourselves. So we have an active construction management team. And then kind of as we've grown that piece of the business of how many projects we're doing at the same time, we've had to grow the rest of the business too. So now we're at this funky spot where we've got 30 people. We have to have an HR department. Like we're now having, <laughs> we, now, we now just have, we don't have like small business. We just have business issues and we just have people <laughs> issues, right? Like it's just, we, we, it's, it's all this overhead, right? Like I'm trying to hire an estimator, probably the worst position to have to hire right now. You want a job? Uh, no. It's, uh, it, their estimate, estimators are brutal to hire because yeah. their good ones are few and far between and they command an, an inordinate amount of money. And they are generally present company accepted, devoid of personality. So <laughs> it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult, uh, pers- a very difficult position to hire. And we're just kind of trying to beef up the team at this point as we grow. I don't think we want to grow exponentially from here. I would see us getting to that point of like 50 people. I think that's a manageable shop size for the work we're doing and the projects we're doing. But yeah, we've got, yeah. we've got like analyst positions open. We've got estimator. We're looking for a civil PM. We're looking for a HR associate. We're looking for a staff accountant. We got a, we got a slew of things open. When did you start, when did you take the plunge into this lar- the larger scale development? So you were, you did a lot of the smaller subdivision stuff, single family yeah. stuff. At what point, how did you make that transition and what, I guess, prompted that? We had, I would say we had 10 employees in, and we've gone up and down over the years as we've self-performed different things. I mean, there was times in our history where we had more than 30 because we were self-performing framing and drywall and painting. Mm-hmm. And like, we had just workers, lots of workers. But mm-hmm. in 2016 or s- probably 16, we had 10 employees and the bulk of them would have been, swing, you know, belts on, carpenters, guys working in the dirt. And the only people managing projects were me, basically, <laughs> my uncle at the time, right? So like, that's really when the growth happened. We started the Caldwell project in 2018, and that's what kind of kicked off our, it kind of was the epiphany of like, wait, we could, this is, this is kind of a, if, if we lever ourselves properly, bring in the right capital partners, the, the brain power that we have on the team could do much, much, much more. And that's when we really started to grow the volume we were doing. I would say our focus on growing the business itself has been in the past year, focused on kind of the brand, the values, the culture, what's important to us, how we want to push forward. It trailed the projects because the projects are what feed the beast, right? So you kind of have to have this, you have to set the standard of, look, enough money's coming Mm -hmm. in, enough, whether it's fee income or whether it's deal exits, you've got to have it there to feed the beast before you can go out and hire a bunch of overhead positions like HR and estimators that you don't bill into jobs on our side of the business anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But for, I would say for a year, we've been very heavily focused on like the brand and the culture and building the business and kind of getting the right people on the team, regardless of what the position is. Like, like if we think you're a good fit, I'll hire you kind of thing. And then we're going to figure out what you're going to do with us. That's cool. So, so what's the vision then long-term, just bigger projects or get, cutting certain things out? Cause you also self-perform a lot of, a lot of activities. So would you stop doing that or you yeah, definitely so, not? So all we're self-performing right now you know, the truest sense is site work. Sure. Uh, site work continues to be a real value add for us. So site work, we are consistently half the price of anyone else and we're still making money on it. So I don't see us, although although for years I have wanted to jettison that piece of the business. It's a very capital intensive piece of the business. Excavators are all two hundred, $300,000 each. Just like it costs a ton of money, but it also is a creative on almost every deal. So we're keeping that. 
that's the only, we're not self-performing carpentry anymore. I think we were last time I was on here, but we, yeah. we've, we've cut that out. What it was costing us to maintain that crew, we're just as, we're just as good subbing it out and just controlling it. So I think in terms of focus and what's the long-term goal, I, I would say not bigger projects. The bigger projects are a lot of brain damage. The sweet spot projects for us, I think are those 80, you know, we like that, that 80 to 100 unit size because it's ignored by everybody else. The institutional guys don't want it. They, we get the same exit out of it. The profit margins are better than the bigger deals. And honestly, not to, not to uh, disparage the work that goes into them, we kind of do them in our sleep. Like they don't, they're not a lot of brain damage. Institutional money on a 300 unit project, it's just a lot of brain damage. And it's, it's a fun process and they're really cool projects, but they're in your backswing on everything. And it's like, you just can't get out ahead of it sometimes. So that's what I like. I love, we're doing Mosaic and Lynn is a 146 unit project. Oh, it's just such a sweet project. That's like a perfect size. It's big enough to be a really cool project and small enough where it just works. But I think we just do more. It is funny how that um, narrative kind of follows you through your career. Like I remember doing like ones and twos and being like, you know what? I'm going to go play in like the five, six and sevens because I think like I can step away from all those idiots doing single families and the guys doing 15 units don't want the six units. <laughs> yeah. And then you start doing six and you're like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to do 15, 20 units. These yeah. are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. true so that, Michael, yeah, you yeah. know, the amount of time that goes into some of these projects between just the entitlement and, and the execution, mostly, it's not really that much different because all you're doing no. is scaling up the number of people on the job site. I would argue it's not, I would argue it's not different at all. So our, like the epiphany, I mean, I it's had, a little different. The epiphany, no, but, but, but not as much. Like, so the epiphany that I had when we went from single families to multifamily and that, that jump was from single family houses, we were doing like six to eight a year million and a half dollars each. So like 5,000 square foot single families in a subdivision. Okay, I was, you know, so the P one PM and one superintendent building one house for 12 to 14 months because they were customs and we had customers crawling all over us, making changes and all the aggravation that goes with that. Took two bodies on my team to run one of those houses. We built Needham's Landing 42 units with one guy. <laughs> right. So like it, it, from like a from like a capacity perspective, we're looking at it, we're like, wow, well, I could bang my head against the wall to make fifty to one hundred grand on these million and a half dollar houses, or we could just go do Needham's Landing, I build was, it, sell it, and you 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 make two million. I mean, I just in round numbers. I mean, it's like it, to, to us, it was like the cleanest of all business decisions because it was we're working with the exact same staff, the exact same capacity. These guys are super smart, right? It's not like they're knuckleheads that can't do this. I, I agree. And I, I usually remind folks too, like if uh, you build seven units or nine units, it's the same number of trips to the building department, the yeah. same number of inspections as doing, you know, the one or so you might as well. And the entitlement process is exactly the same. But the flip side, I would say is that the mistakes hurt more. Oh, mm -hmm. I've, I've literally <laughs> framed every rough opening wrong on a very small project and the windows showed up and it was like, oh my God. And that sucked, yeah. but it didn't knock me down. Go build a 45 unit podium building and frame every window wrong. Yeah. And you know, you might not be standing. Well, that's what I mean. No, is that's that, right. The, the, yeah. the, the mistakes, the, the mistakes hurt much, mm -hmm. much, much more. And it's a lot easier to recover from them on a smaller, a smaller deal. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to make a million dollar mistake yeah. on a, even a 10 unit. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I always emphasize that uh, you have to maintain the margins, right? Never the absolute value that you're going to make on a deal is great, but it's all percent based because projects slide or do well on the margin. So um, mm -hmm. don't get enamored by a big number because a mistake that'll disappear on a big project. 
Definitely. Yep. I mean, that's what I mean when I say when I say that the returns are better on the smaller projects for us. Mm-hmm. The return profile on a percent basis, the IRR, our IRR, our multiple mm-hmm. will be better on a 50 unit project or a 60, 80 unit project, almost guaranteed than a 300 unit project. Yeah, the 300 unit project is a big number, mm-hmm. maybe 10 or 15 million dollars sometimes on those. On an IRR, on actual returns, we'd be better off putting all that money on the street into 50 and 80 unit projects. The returns would be better. There are like funny steps though, right? Like you go along, the one that we talk about a lot is like 69 feet, 11 to 79 feet. You know, you go to a high rise, now you better keep going. And all throughout the chain, it's like, you know, you do the really small stuff. You can probably get away with not doing lien waivers. Yep. With some workers comp or not, you probably don't have much to lose at that point. Then you get into three and five and it's like, all right, well now I better at least make sure I'm getting certificates of insurance. And, yeah. and, and, you, and as you go up and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well now I need union labor because no one's sophisticated enough to do a chilling, you know, cooling tower on a roof. And there's, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting because the construction costs move. Dramatic, very dramatically. There's huge efficiencies, right? So you know, the buildings we've been doing in Lynn are at 10 stories because we're basically because we're lazy and that's what zoning allows. Really, it's an inefficient building to build. 12 to 15, now you, because you, all those costs are fixed, right? You, you've, you, the tower crane costs what the tower crane costs, right? Your swing staging or your mast climbers or all the things you need to do the exterior of that building, they're a constant. You had to have those for the 10 story. You know, you might as well go to, you might as well go to 15 stories, right? And I think that that's where you start to hit some of those efficiencies where you can really... Yeah, there's there are sweet spots. Yeah, there are sweet yeah. spots. It is frustrating along the way, though, when you can't do some of the things that you used to be able to do that may have been a little sketchy. May <laughs> the have number been, of times in my office yeah. where they'll be like arguing about like, oh, they can't get a roofer. And I'll be like, yeah. well, what about this guy? And they'll, they'll all look at me with this like blank expression like, we can't use him. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like I used to use him on houses all the time. Like I know, or the number of times I've been in a meeting and said like, that's bullshit. We, we did five buildings in the past <laughs> 10 years that way. And the architect's like, well, you shouldn't fucking market that publicly because yeah. you're wrong every time. <laughs> well, yeah. Or you can't like, for the smaller stuff, it's like, all right, I can just run down to Home Depot and buy something last minute if I need something versus if I'm doing hundred unit building, it's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to, I can't, yeah. you know, you just can't do that stuff. Yeah. And you, you start to really refine kind of the efficiencies of like, like condo, we're doing a condo, the condo project in Portland. Like we're not giving people choices. You can't give people choices when you're doing 54 units. Like that's out of the question. Like we will build an amazing looking product and buyers can come in and like it or not. But mm-hmm. like, that's the play there. Whereas if it was three units, sure. Pick your tile. Pick your countertops, pick your kitchen cabinets, right? It's, it's a much easier process on the smaller stuff. The bigger ones, you've got to just be much more I don't even want to do that on the smaller stuff. I know. <laughs> this, is, this is why I left single family. It was like, <laughs> I cannot deal with customers. Like, this is going to kill me. Like, the ones that can make decisions, they're fine. If they, if they <sighs> don't, no, or no, they change them. No, no, the problem is there's too many other decisions, too. It's like, it's not just enough to show me the tile you want. You know, yeah. what, what, what's your grout color? What's the tile spacing? What's the format? What's the well, shape? Dan, Dan shape? and I give them Is like, what, four options? Like Not tile. I don't give them No, not tile. Options. Like floor, floor stain color and paint and, you know, the easy stuff. If you, if you don't know, if you don't know what you like, you better like what you get. That's yeah. what I usually. The other problem is, is a lot of the stuff you have to buy and you have to, you have to uh, rough it way in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if they're not coming in during framing, then forget it. They're not getting their choice. Right. Yeah, right. Your shower valve rough is obviously linked to your trim kit and you can't just wait until you're at the finishes to decide what trim kit you like. Yeah. And you so, better have that figured out on the rough. And, and kitchen plans. Sure, and, yeah. You know, pl- certain appliance packages and things like that have to be roughed specifically. I was really yeah, proud they of do. my wife. We're, we're moving into a new project and she has a specific TV she wants. 
It looks like it looks like a piece of art. It's actually kind of cool. Is it the a one frame? that like, comes Samsung up? From, is it from the yeah. one that comes Samsung up from your frame? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Does it come oh, up from your bed? Um, it does. No, it does not. That would be cool too. But uh, it's a Samsung frame, and essentially, it is so super thin that all the the brains need to live in like a little box that sits in a media cabinet or a closet, and it's connected with this industrial wire. So you have to rough. Do you have to like rough it? Yes. And it's she's very cool. She grabs me. She's like, Mark, before you drywall, I think we need to get this, you know, Samsung wire. So. Hey, shut <laughs> Wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> because you re, you do realize you'll be cutting open that wall when you move 100%. in. hundred percent. I was like, you do listen. You, you do actually listen. are appropriate use of absorbing. the phrase rough it. Yes. Yeah. So you're going to be able to use it as like to display your NFT artwork and yeah. stuff later. When the, when it's <laughs> all of his top shots, <laughs> his Dogecoin charts. Yeah. <laughs> He's just gonna have a big moon on the ceiling. <laughs> so they, they really, are, it's an amazing TV. It? It's amazing TV. You have it? No, 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 no. But I've oh. seen them. We've we've spec them in projects yeah. when we want to do art, and it's uh, it's it's incredible the yeah. way it works. I mean, it's an expensive TV, but it's not ridiculous. Like if I told you the sixty inch TV is like twenty one hundred, it's like yeah, I could have bought one for sixteen hundred, but this yeah. is awesome. three years right. ago it would have been yeah. five grand, yeah. right? Yeah. The prices so have come down. So. Well, now they all might be. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I probably can't get one because there's no microchips for it now. So I have this wire in my wall and I'll never get the TV. Back ordered till 2024. Say what you will about TikTok. I just saw a video of like this gigantic, <laughs> gigantic uh, server farm for Bitcoin mining. It's like, it's literally like somebody bought an abandoned building in a town and just filled it with GPUs. So I saw, I, I don't pretend to understand how that works. Like, I don't understand how they use that much, like how a computer uses that much electricity. Like I don't, I'm not an electrical <laughs> engineer. But I saw a stat the other day that said 1%, 1.6% of all the world's power is currently being used to mine Bitcoin. I can't believe that. Horrible for the environment. It's because of it's the way- staggering. It's staggering. So it's a staggering stat. I mean, they should like, legislate that because like, can you imagine the greenhouse? 1.6% of all the world's power well, it's to the mine way, Bitcoin. It's the way it's mined. That's why uh, coins like Ethereum are- changing the way their mining right. is the done. Hat, the, yeah. Yeah. And so it's going to use way less power to mine Ethereum. It's so bizarre. We're going on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, we'll, we'll pull well, it back. A different, it's a different bring, bring audience. Bring it back to parallel, yeah. right? So yeah. like, you know, environmental, the environmental, social, all that stuff that's happening now, you know, the environmental side of crypto has to take that into account, just like we have to take into account our HERS rating and all they that should good be, stuff. They should have lead. They should have a lead system yeah. for, for Bitcoin. For, for, yeah. for mining. We should have Ross or lead on. platinum at Caldwell. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Congrats. Oh yeah, yeah. you mentioned. We that. don't have the final ruling back, but we know what we got the points. We have, we're there. Did you oh, already nice. buy the plaque for the no, building? No, I'm. I'm that's they should send you the it. plaque. They, they should send me the plaque. Right? <laughs> Two hundred thousand dollars later, fees, I should get the plaque, right? And it should yeah. be and it should be platinum. It's like my favorite qualification with an estimate. It's like, number one, we have not included costs for lead accreditation. It's like they've clearly been burned by this so many times where some dumb owner's like, well, you know, I'd like to uh, pursue lead silver and I think I have all the attributes. And the guy's like, okay, I need to hire another fucking project manager. Yes. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. They had to, Delbrook had to buy... Well, they didn't have to, but ultimately the most efficient way to make sure everything was was good, they bought their own blower door set up oh, to do pre-testing really? through the whole through the whole thing because of enhanced compartmentalization. It's one, when you get up to platinum, like one of the things is Rick, really, really crazy low air changes per hour mm-hmm. in those units. And it was just there was no way to do it without having your own kit there where you could just kind of like we know it's good. Like it's awesome. testing as we're going. How's the automated garage going? Yeah. Good. A lot of a bit of a learning curve on the front end, and like anything that's that complicated, lots of kinks to work out. I would say the commissioning process on it was challenging, but it's working and it's working fine. 
it's a Tetris system, right? So you have like nine cars for 10 spaces and it spins them around until right. your car gets to the... Uh, right, so it takes 30 seconds to retrieve a vehicle from the furthest point of the system. We actually have three systems mm. uh, for redundancy. It works, it works well, right? It has, EV, we, it has EV charging in it and stuff like that. People like it. I mean, people are, people are in it. We're able to, we raised the price. We doubled the pricing on mm -hmm. it because there was enough demand. So, I mean, we're, it's, it's, it's like- it's So that was my question. It's 225 bucks a month to park in that system. And you could park across the street at the T garage for 30. Well, when wow, a two by four is 12 bucks, that wow. sounds like a good deal. Right. Yeah. Steal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask from a user and user perspective. So yeah. they, they haven't had any, like, has no, it, it been a No, it ate curve? a person's car. It, one of them ate a person's car. They parked in the, they parked <laughs> wait, in the wrong spot. Wait, so, yeah. no. So there's, well, it, it like crashed into a person's car. So like there's a spot, there's a blank spot in each, in each system, right? So it can move. And that spot has a tray because you have to be able to drive over it. So if you're in the back, you have to be able to drive across this plate. Well, it's very clearly marked, don't park on that plate. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it, the system doesn't ever expect a car to be there, right? It moves things through where that plate is. Somebody accidentally parked on the plate. And they don't have sensors for that? That seems confusing. They, no, because, yeah, no, not the way it's set up. There's sensors for everything else, but that one rule is don't park on that transfer plate, right? Oh my gosh. They got a nice little dent in somebody's roof. So but it's all good. Just a, just a few signs. Insurance. Do not park here. That's one of the waivers that they sign when they yeah. park there. It's one of the many, many things covered by a lot of insurance in this I was business. Having an interesting discussion yesterday regarding builder's risk. Oh, okay. So interesting uh, and builder's risk; those two don't go together. No, Please enlighten us. They do right now, since builder's risk is basically like twelve times what it was six months ago. Yeah, we share a uh, insurance broker because you provide. You know, you refer Rob. He's oh, awesome. Rob, Rob's the man. So uh, he's been helping us out. But we were talking the other day about. Um, where was I even going with this? Oh, should you insure the value of your foundations or not? So I'm on this call with a large general contractor and they're like, how come you only carried X million when the whole building's this? I'm like, well, because I backed out my site work and my foundations because I figure in the event of a total loss, like a fire, I can start from the foundations up. And their VP of risk management calls me after and he's like, I just want you to know that if the fire's hot enough, you'll be, the concrete will melt too. And I'm like, you might be right, but I have a lot bigger issues if the fire's hot enough. I'm, I'm pretty hot. sure we, the fire we, department will be there before it gets and the sprinkler to that. We do that as well. We back, out, we back out site work. Site work we think is absurd to have in that number. We back out site work. We back out all the ancillary costs, like mm. you know, general conditions associated with site work, fee associated with site work, kind of all that stuff. And typically, typically we'll cover... We start with the foundations. So builder's risk, BR, just for to back up, is uh, essentially covers you in the event of a catastrophe or a loss. You're three quarters through the building and uh, God forbid there's a fire. And or water intrusion yeah. or storm damage, mm. a variety of- A variety of things. things. And that's, that's different from GL, general liability, which is more, you know, a jogger trips on your sight fence and says that she hurt her knee, which- Which you have video evidence. Sounds like, sounds like you're asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At what point do you, or I don't know if you do this when you're on, on your holds, do you ever do umbrella policies across yeah, multiple? Always, always, always. Yeah, always. We'll always put a GL policy on raw land Okay. before we're doing it because of that exact reason. Like, you know, somebody's going to wander onto it and somebody, like, even in like the craziest circumstances, like we do a lot of urban stuff. Like, what if some guy ODs like on my vacant parking lot that I just bought, right? Like, so we'll put a cheap GL policy on that. We have a corporate umbrella that covers over, like a $25 million umbrella that covers over all of our stuff. But then on a project level, especially for the stuff we're holding, we put the permanent multi-peril kind of insurance on it and then have like a, a $5 million umbrella that 
excess liability. Have you had it's any? Expen it's expensive, and it like every. It, I won't pretend that I don't look at it every single year when I look at expenses. I'm like, dang, do we really need that? Mm -hmm. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, what are the chances I'm actually going to buy? Yeah, but you know, the second you cancel, the second it. I cancel it, somebody's going to break their neck on a snow <laughs> and ice claim or something <laughs> foolish, right? And you know, so you know, it's just. Peace of mind. It's peace yeah, have of you mind. had it's any claims that you're like, wow, man, glad I ever had this thing? Not, not that ever reached up to the umbrella. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, we've had plenty of claims over the years, but not something that really got to the umbrella. I mean, you'd have to be bad. It'd have to be bad, but it could be. I mean, the way that stuff works. I mean, they look at like life value. If somebody died, mm -hmm. and that person was somebody who earned four hundred thousand dollars a year, and they've got four kids, like, I mean, there's just you could get to a really big number really quickly. So, peace of mind. It's worth some having. real estate developer who's. I don't even know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> Mark was trying to think of an analogy. In his Mark life. even had a coffee before we started. What number of coffee is that for today? Uh, this is four. Number four. Well, it's really bad. well. It's I would I would say that that's probably number three and a quarter because that doesn't count as a full coffee. Oh, there you that's go. a very dainty cup. <laughs> <laughs> it's. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, are you guys doing anything cool with uh, technology right now? I've seen some. We're doing uh, 360 uh, pictures yep. while the walls are all open. You yep. guys doing stuff like that? Yeah, we're doing we're doing Matterport. Well, not really Matterport, but 360. Yeah, uh, which is really cool. We do it uh, right before installation goes in mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. A, it's just a really good documentation tool as to what was done and what wasn't done. Mm -hmm. It integrates if people use Procore. It integrate not that a ton of people do, but it integrates right with Procore, so we can then view in Procore. We can put it into 360 mode and view it. Then what we'll do is we'll print a QR code. And we'll put the QR code on the water heater in the unit. So maintenance can go into the unit, scan oh, the wow. QR code, and immediately be in that unit's 360 photo. So oh, if, they want, awesome. if they want to hang a TV mm -hmm. for somebody, they walk in, literally scan the QR code, walk over to where the TV's going, and be like, okay, we got, we got a line set coming down there, and we have you know, a water, a roof drain over here. Otherwise, we're clean and good. Unreal. Really cool tool. Also, we found that institutional buyers love it on the exit. Yeah. They focus a lot on engineering and kind of what's the what what's behind the walls, and it's a really good way to kind of show them, like, guys, we had a, we ran a great process. We had this buttoned up. Here's the full package. So oh, Matterport will actually give you a QR code per unit. Yeah. So so we don't use Matt. We use our own. We bought a camera. Okay. So when we do that, we do it ourselves. It's just one of the tasks that falls on the APM to go out and do that. But Matterport, we actually did hire Matterport at Caldwell because it was such a big building. We didn't want to waste the time over there. And I think it cost us $25,000 to have a, a full Matterport done to that whole building at the you know, pre-installation stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, yeah, which we is amazing. It's, it's very inexpensive we're, in the grand scheme of things. Oh, yeah. We're using Struction site. And then um, also the, the, some, some of the drone captures cool. Do yep. something similar just from the outside. So you set your drone to fly a specific pattern around your building and you just put it in the air every so often. And you can see, like, you know, where the blue skin may have had a problem yeah. or a window. Oh, that's, that's, oh, that's awesome. That's, that's actually. And then we're using a lot in terms of other tech we're doing. Uh, so, like, our mosaic building, we have Pillar. What's out that? there, have you, have you ever seen no. Pillar Tech? So, uh, it's a system of sensors. So, I don't know how many there are actually in that building. There's probably 80 of them. Mm. And it's measuring dust, moisture, oh, wow. humidity, temperature, smoke reporting it back into a into a console that A, will notify us if there's a problem, right? So like like a real problem, like, mm -hmm. hey, water's pouring out of a, your standpipe kind mm -hmm. of thing. But more importantly, what it gives us is a package at the end and we can give to the institutional buyer and tell them or any buyer and be like, no, there was no moisture in here during construction. Here's the moisture readings from 80 different points in the building throughout construction. Like it. And we can button that whole package up and it's expensive, you know, and then we'll use like, 
Tattletail and we'll use, yeah. you know, blue, kind of the, the typical blue. Ox Blue cameras. We've got them all on one account. So mm-hmm. we can get into from my app. I can look at all of our jobs. I'm looking, I'm looking right now. I can see there's companies that use, I guess it's Leica scanners. That's, that's, we have a Leica camera that does Oh, it. that's what you have. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. having true as built and you're getting like laser level detail, all those points. Cause that's like the it next level. Ours, yeah. Ours doesn't, ours. I don't, I don't know if our camera does the point cloud or not. We're not using the point cloud, yeah. but we have a Leica camera that's basically goes on like a, like a survey rod. Interesting. Just Cause like I can see the institutional stand, people stand, like stand that. it in the room and it takes the, it takes the 360. Do you find that, the, do you think that there's any like downside to having those images because you know, now you give it to them and then they, well, they try to like a, find if out. A, if you build a really bad product and you've got water everywhere and pipes not where they're supposed to be, it would be You lousy, know what I mean. They, they try and like, they try and say stuff, something about it. I don't know. Maybe well, I mean, our, our view is it answers more questions than it opens. Okay. So from our, my perspective on some of these exits, they ask, they bring architects and engineers through. So you're getting all these engineering types asking questions that it's just, just look at the, look at the nice, look at the 360. It's there. I saw recently a uh, robotic uh, security dog. So it roams through the <laughs> oh, site. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, you, you, you posted it. Yeah, I thought that was cool. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you mean it roams through and security dog? Yeah, actually, this is another insurance interesting anecdote. We were actually reading the policy and it said that if we didn't have site lighting and site fencing up, then the policy would not respond. I was like, you know. So our, it's getting crazier and crazier. Our policies now, not only did they require the site lighting and site fencing, Oh, and a camera. That mosaic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not only a camera, it required, they gave us two brands and they were like, use these two brands. And we're like, we're not going to use those two brands. That's not who we have a relationship with. They're like, well, then you don't have insurance. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to not only use the brand, we had to send the submittal of the package. Like when we got the quote from Stealth, I think was the company that they wanted us to use. We got the quote from Stealth. We then had to get it signed off on by the insurance underwriter. And they're like, yes, install that package and we'll, you're good. Do they require any active it's, monitoring? It's wood. Yes. It's yeah. wood. Yeah. That's what we use. The, we use the tattletale system oh for it. Oh my God. It's, this is a wood frame problem. Like we're getting hosed on wood frame insurance. Is that because of arson concerns really? Wood fr- I think it's, I think it's, I think it's arson. It's wood frame over 10 million mm-hmm. is outrageous right now. What are you doing? Just taking really big deductibles, trying to offset We're taking costs? the biggest deductibles we possibly can. We're yeah. taking things that almost never happen and cranking up those deductibles even more. Do you take the terrorism coverage? Depends whether the bank makes us take it. Typically, no. I would, I would opt for no. I mean, where, how often are you hearing of arson? The problem is when it happens, it's, it happens, right? I mean, Callahan lost, right. Callahan lost huge, total loss on a huge building. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the one where the concrete melted. Yeah. 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 So, 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 I mean, this is, this is, this Pre, is pre-sprinkler. There was a whole bunch of fires in very court. So they're looking at banning wood frame. There's, a, there's an article right now before the, I believe, LA City Council that would ban wood frame, light wood frame construction in the city. Real, even for yeah, like single being, families, it's being no, but it's being pushed by uh, it's being pushed by the like the concrete, the, the steel concrete, the, uh, the build the build with strength guys. The, Wood is by good, but steel's ideal. Or quickrete, I probably shouldn't have said quickrete. No, it's it, but it, it's uh, it's ridiculous because I mean, you want to talk about compounding costs? Yeah, it's still cost. Everybody's asking me like, hey, you built the light frame high rise, like, is it cheaper than wood? No, it's still more expensive. So like, if we can't use wood, even today, it's still more expensive. So if we can't use wood, we're really screwed. Yeah, well, like they're the, just like going to trademark building burn down. That was an outlier, though. That was like during some weird test. I think I think what Mike's talking about is like, I think you saw a video of like a place that was literally on fire and that was blowing over the highway. One of the highways out oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Random question. What's your uh, philosophy on liquidated damages in construction contracts? As an owner or as a construction manager? Oh, good question. As an owner. As much as I can possibly get. You like, okay. 
look, you need, no matter how good your relationship is with a GC, there needs to be accountability. LDs are a good way to do that. We use, we typically will use a sliding scale of LDs. So we'll have some sort of a grace period. So I guess liquidated, like, well, let's define it first. So liquidated damages are a, a set contractual amount of money, usually a day rate that you're owed if the contractor goes beyond the schedule. So you, you're negotiating up front. And you're saying, look, you know, you've got 18 months to build this building. And for every day that you go beyond the 18 months, you owe us a contractual damages payment of $7,500 a day, whatever that number is, you're negotiating it. So we'll, we typically will escalate it. So we're going to have some sort of a grace period, 15 days, 30 days, depends how, depends how much we believe in their schedule mm -hmm. as to whether we think they deserve a grace period. And then after that, we'll have like, say for, for day one through 30 that you're late, maybe it's $2,000 a day and day 31, now you're really late. You've screwed something up from mm -hmm. day 31 to say 60, it's maybe $5,000 a day. And then from 60 onward, like you've screwed the job up, you're paying us $7,000, $8,000 a day in liquid in LDs. Mm -hmm. and, and those numbers get huge, right? So if you've got a job that's really delayed, you might be able to then use that as a negotiating chip with the with the GC to be, or the, or the construction manager say, look, you're looking at an accrued 800 grand in LDs. Let's be reasonable about how we're closing out this project. And it creates a, it creates an ability to have a negotiating technique. Not to mention your carry costs at that point are probably seven grand a day. Well, and this is, this is our point all the time because yeah. contractors always push back on them. Like that's completely unreasonable. I'm like, well, think about it from my perspective. You're 60 days late with a project that was supposed to deliver in August so I could lease for September 1st. You've now delivered that project to me on Thanksgiving day. I've literally lost five or $6 million in rent. The $10,000 LD doesn't scratch the surface of it, right? So when you look at it from the owner's perspective, it doesn't even, it's just, it's barely like a, a drop in the bucket. The GCs, the GCs, will, a lot of times they'll try to cap it. They'll say, look, we'll agree to your LDs up to 50% of our fee or not to exceed our fee, right? They don't want to, they don't want to go completely out of pocket, but we, we use them. Yeah. Do they, shared do they, savings is a separate thing we could talk about. Yeah. I, shared savings. I always think shared savings, the incentives are very interesting. Because if, if I agree to a shared savings, so I'll define it first. Shared savings, we, we, uh, we look at a project, we define what a guaranteed maximum price is for, for the work. And then after kind of coming up to that number, we go out and we buy all the trades and we try to uh, shave that number down. And anything below that guaranteed maximum price goes into a bucket called shared savings. And it can all accrue to the owner or it can be shared amongst the owner and the contractor. But if I agree up front to a 70-30 or a 60-40 split in the contractor's favor, I think it just creates an incentive for the contractor to establish a very high GMP. Yes. So I would agree 100%. So we will not do them anymore. We will not, do, we will not sign a contract with shared savings in it. Oh, you, so you think they're gonna, they'll inflate the price on the so front it, end? To save so it's a back. system. it's a yeah. system that's designed to align interests, right? It's designed to have the contractor work just as hard as the owner to save money. That's what it's designed to do. The problem is exactly like Mark said, a, it creates an incentive for them at the beginning to have a higher GMP and not get grind you to a good number. Secondly, throughout the process, it incentivizes them. Any, there's, there's any number of costs on a project that are in a gray area. Is this an owner cost? Is it a change order cost? Is it, is it a con contractor contingency cost? Is it a cost of the work, right? There's a gray area and you argue about that a lot, and especially on a bigger building. It incentivizes them to draw a hard line and make everything an owner cost because they're protecting their shared savings bucket. When in reality, if you got a million dollars in, if you got a million dollars in buy contingency, that should be used for the good of the project. Mm -hmm. So the way we do it now is we will track it in a separate bucket as buyout contingency. The contractor has much looser rules around how they can use it. They can basically use it without our approval, but for the betterment of the project, they don't get any shared savings. None of it ever accrues to them, but we'll put a bonus system in place. Very non-objective 
bonus system. It's up to us whether we pay the bonus. And it's like basically an experience bonus. Like if I have a good experience building this building and my eyes are wide open, I've done a lot of this, then you'll, here's the bonus. It might be 400 grand, right? It could be significant. It's, it's objective or subjective? It's completely subjective. Subjective, got it. It's completely subjective. Yeah. Have you, it's have you paid the bonus? I was searching for the subjective. It's yeah. not objective yeah. at all. It's very subjective. It's just up to us. Uh -huh. They don't like that. But at the end of the day, it is something that people can understand, right? I want to pay you for a good experience, not like a like, like a waiter. Like mm -hmm. you want a tip? Here's a tip. Yeah. Have a good experience. Even in the hard parts of the job or when it's going sideways, make that a good experience for me. Don't make that a brain damage And how, how, how often are you typically seeing yourself giving a bonus? Always. Well, so it's Almost a set, always. you're saying it's a set amount. And so basically they can use it for real things. They can use the buy, the buy save, the buy savings they can use basically for anything that betters the job. So a lot of, I'll give you so an example. So the bonus is different I'll give you than an example. So we got a job right now that has a million dollars in buy savings, million and a half dollars in buy savings. So there's now two buckets on the job. There's 1.2 million of contractor contingency that they haven't touched because they bought it out really well, right? Then there's a separate bucket of 1.5 million of buy contingency savings. They can use that to progress the job. So for instance, instead of coming to us and saying, hey, we think it'd be beneficial for you to give us a change order for 50 grand in electrical overtime because we're going to accelerate the electrical work. They don't do that now. They just dip into that buy savings and say, hey, we've decided we want to accelerate the con. We want to accelerate this. We're going to take 50 grand and we're going to pay it here. Great. It mm -hmm. makes the job better for everybody, mm -hmm. right? Same thing. We, we've decided we can accelerate if the steel guys work Saturdays. Great. What's that? It's $33,000. Good. Pay it out of that bucket, mm -hmm. right? Instead of coming to us for a change order for all of these well, things. Well, you've already saved the money, so you right. might as well. Right. Right. I get it. So we, we've tried to align the interest to come up with a better project because I don't like the shared savings just doesn't work for me. I don't, yeah. it, it does not align interests. And then as, as it you, creates camps and then you're both fighting to protect what's yours. And even at the very beginning of a project, you've, you know, don't, don't kid yourself and don't think that the PX from the, from the contractor hasn't calculated what their share of the shared saving is down, well, there, and down it gives the road. You, right? It gives like, you more of a benchmark for when you do provide exactly. that bonus at the end of the project. Right. You can actually say, all right, well, you actually used right. that to better yep. the project and you increase the timeline. So we'll, we'll typically do two bonuses. One's just a straight experience bonus. It's very subjective. Did I have a good time building this building with you? <laughs> and if I did, like, like, and they're always like, well, what, who, what if you just say you didn't? No, like this is at the end of the day, like we're incentivized to do this and do it well. And if you deliver the building and you're on time and under budget and I had a great time, I'm going to pay you in a hot second, right? Like that I'm incentivized and use to you do again. that and use you again. Then we'll have a second bonus typically that is very objective. It's tied to, it's tied to schedule because schedule to me is, is the killer. So you deliver it on the schedule. This is what you get. I'm working with Peter Campo on this. I'm sure he won't mind me quoting him, but he's like, he's a kind of a legend in our, in our world, in our industry. And he just said something to the effect of, You'll never win, Mark, as the owner, as the developer, unless the contractor also wins. He's like, if you go into this as you're going to win, they're going to lose, it's going to be miserable throughout. You might make it and miserable they'll make for you them, lose. but you'll, yeah, you'll also be miserable. <laughs> Very miserable, yeah. yes. So I think we're kind of we're coming, yeah, we're coming up on, uh, I think, time. So do we want to do a quick overrated, underrated, appropriately rated? Sure. Rated? Let's do it. How do you always whisper like that? Hey, we're coming up on the... <laughs> Dan just trails That's my off. radio voice. I'm yeah, Dan's just, getting all sultry. Sultry all overnight jazz DJ voice. Yeah. <laughs> this is WBUR. I always wonder why, like, that's like a very specific thing, like to like classical music radio stations, jazz, and like public radio. I don't understand. They like have got some sort of voice modulator that like does that and like makes it very sultry. Yeah. I was going to call it a 1-900 voice, <laughs> but I don't that's, think that's a thing. Is that this still a thing? It's no, like, but we're all of an age where we understand it was a thing. I think the internet has yeah. kind of uh, yeah. put that. There's only fans now. You don't need yeah. one. <laughs>
There's only like two or three voices for everything, like commercials yeah. on TV, movie previews, yeah. all that stuff. Jazz radio yes. stations. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> Mark's mind this is going is completely elsewhere. sideways. I'll go first. Uh, smart appliances. Overrated. You really need your app to tell you when your toast is done? Or are you just going to stand there and take it out of the toaster and butter it? I mean, like, I don't know. You know what? I will, I'm going to argue against that. Just saying, like, you know what I really appreciate is when the washing machine tells me and the dryer says it's done. Because that's usually in a separate room. So I should try that. We, ours, we just, for the first time, just got new washer dryer after 13, 14 years in the house. And uh, it's smart, but I haven't set it up. So I should try that. It is cool. You get notifications you're right. on your it's, phone. it's somewhere else, right? Yeah. And you would know. Can you control it from your phone? No. I, I, my model, I can't. No, that's but interesting. It's already a couple years old. restart the dryer. My sink faucet in the new digs is going to uh, be voice activated. Like Alexa enabled? Yeah. Uh, fill one cup of coffee. Or oh, yeah. One cup of coffee. And you think, you think after two months of using that, you're still going to be married? <laughs> no comments. Um, brilliant smart home. So it's a smart switch. Extremely overrated. Okay. I'm and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm probably the largest buyer of them in Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's a question. Would you put them in a smaller project versus a, a high rise? If you can put them, so see, it all comes down to the integration. Are you going to put in your own home? If it can, uh, no. If, it, if you can get it to integrate with everything else you're using. So if you're going to, maybe I should have spoke to soon. Maybe I would, right? So if mm -hmm. I had like Sonos speakers and a Nest thermostat mm -hmm. and... I don't know what their integration is for locks, but let's say Schlage. Schlage they do Yale. Uh, I think Yale. Yale. Okay, so if you had all those things oh, and checked all those boxes, it would be great. The problem is what we were sold as kind of this open source integration is is not really accurate. So like in our units, like, I mean, they don't even do anything. They, they talk to the Butterfly MX, which is the front door entry system. So that's cool. It puts the video screen on the wall instead of the phone, but they can't talk to, we found out way too late in the game, they don't talk to our thermostats. They don't talk to our door lock. Like it's, it's so it's just, it's, it's a really cool piece of tech. It's relatively inexpensive for smart home tech. And as and, they and, build out the platform, it probably will get a lot better. And I think it's, I think from an installation standpoint, it's easy because it just replaces a regular right. switch. There's 100%. no like proprietary yeah. wiring yeah. and low voltage. And even their, even their expansion system. So like the plugs and the switch expansions, it's yeah. just, it's really plug and play. It's really easy. Yeah. So from that piece of it, it works. And from like a hardware factor and form factor, it's awesome. You know, it looks like something that Apple designed. It work and it and it does work. And you can put like your pictures. It's on just about the inter it's about. The I, I agree with you. I mean, we're putting them in our smaller projects, and I think the integration is much better because we're doing you know we're doing the Nest thermostats right. and we're doing the yep. Sonos speakers. So I think showing that yeah. as kind of a package, you're able to build a true smart home package versus just this smart light switch thing. Correct. Correct. That so shows I think you it the weather on, it has Alexa. It probably right? depends on the size. Yeah, of the project, I, I would yeah. agree. All right, I got the next one. Uh, lump sum contracts. Love them. Underrated. Underrated. Sorry. Really? Yeah, everyone, I, every, I think that is a, a fair one because everyone goes GMP seemingly. Yeah. So we are, we're converting all of our internal contracts to lump sums. It's very dependent on the parties, right? It would really depend on who the contractor was. I think most contractors want nothing to do with them, but there's a few out there that that's all they do. So, so just, I guess lump sum. So, so lump sum, lump sum is what you would traditionally think of when you think of doing a construction project on a small one, right? Like we're going to, we've got the plans. It's fully designed. We're bidding off of this set of drawings and we're gonna build your building for $20 million, period. Versus a, a GMP contract, which is really uh, called a cost plus fee with a guaranteed maximum price. So what they're basically saying is, we have a good idea of what this is gonna cost. We've acquired some bids, we've estimated it really well. You're gonna pay us cost plus our fee, and our, we're gonna cap that at $20 million or and, $21 million. And everything is open book. Right. Where So, so every, 
if, if it were a lump sum and they brought that job in at 18 million, they made a ton of profit. Right. So some contractors will call GMP guaranteed maximum profit instead yeah. of uh, <laughs> so price. so and the thing is you know your bank will play a role in it so there's some lenders that are only going to want to see open books there's no benefit mm -hmm. to a lump sum right a contractor's not going to do a lump sum if he still has to provide you copies of every single invoice so the way he's going to build on a lump sum is just percent complete you know mm -hmm. the architect's going to say hey, he's 18 percent complete he's entitled to that mm -hmm. versus a GMP it's cost plus so you're actually looking at the line and we don't really care what the line has on it for a budget we're only reimbursing for the cost so you you have to show us an invoice a physical invoice or a receipt for that cost in order to get reimbursed for it they can get burned on the lump sum though right could they because like in the oh yeah yeah like now, won't do it. right yeah. because in the yeah. event with the lumber yeah. now they right. would, right. just be they, destroyed. they would get hosed they would yeah. get hosed yep <clears throat> i was gonna say package delivery rooms tiktok <laughs> tiktok only, powered only, package only delivery things. rooms so you're kind of like the package delivery room guy. I feel I like am. every time yeah, I see an article on the news, it's like, I'm just wait, I'm, I'm going to be the inflation and construction cost guy <laughs> soon. Um, so underrated, but let's put some, let's put some context there. Nice. I think, I think parcel lockers are history. Parcel lockers don't work. The carriers don't want to put them in them. The residents don't want to interact with them. That's a change in my attitude towards them from a year ago. We have them in our projects. So they don't care about theft necessarily is what you're Correct. saying. Because once it's in the building, Correct. like who's going to take They don't care about theft. Well, the lockers also, you, it, it's very specific sizes. Too. It's very, it's very, very specific sizes. And they don't, they just, it's, it worked in the early phases of a ton of home delivery, right? And right now the package volume is insane. So we're putting really big package delivery rooms in, but then what we're trying to do is solve for in-unit delivery with either the building staff or like a concierge service where at some point every day that package was getting cleaned out and the packages are going up into people's units if people are okay with that. It's challenging in COVID. We are still doing it. The other thing that we're able to put in the package rooms that's harder with the lockers, they do have it, but it's harder, is refrigeration. So we put big commercial refrigerators in there. People can get flour deliveries. People can get fresh food deliveries. All the right? groceries, yeah. Groceries, right. So some of those services come in like those, those packs that are all prepped, right? Like Sunbasket and stuff. But a lot of them are just coming from Amazon or Whole Foods. So refrigeration is important. I wonder if, the, so you, big think, demand. Do you think that's going to increase? Because I don't necessarily see people wanting you to carry up their food and put it in their fridge. I think you know, will. Versus, really? Yeah, I think they Instead will. of like I a think package. People are lazy. People, people are lazy. Should people, they, people, yeah. people live in my buildings for one reason. Convenience. I will trade privacy and security for convenience every day of the week. Whenever a painter calls me, he's like, are you comfortable with me going in your home? Yes. yes. Just go in. If my uh, Instacart driver yeah. was willing to like, if I could check a box to pay $10 for them to put it in my fridge, I would do it every time. Even if no one's- uh, Even if people are home. Like, I don't care. Yeah. My kids are like, walk yeah. in my house, walk right into the fridge. Hi guys, I'm the Instacart guy, right? Like, absolutely. All right. Last one for me. Brick facades. Uh... I don't know. That needs some context. I mean, I like bricks. Yeah. Like what? Like what? Like just like a whole brick building, like a mill or like, yeah, no, I like it's brick. like a brick. Like it's, it. it's held its price relatively well the past few months. Bricks? Brick. I, oh, God, I, let's build whole buildings on a brick. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> you know what should take off here is cast yeah. in place concrete like everywhere else in the country and nobody does it here. Mm. Yeah. I bet you there's a play there. Well, it's because there's like two contractors who are I'll go with appropriately rated. Yeah. I was, was going to change show? My, Yeah, I was going to change it. We'll go with appropriately rated. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, social media as a business tool. You've been doing a lot like, of takeovers. I feel like I, 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 feel feel like like I can like, have some fun with this. Yeah. Appropriately rated. You've been pushing the uh, the platform. I have been pushing LinkedIn. Yeah. I, and I found LinkedIn to be incredibly successful. Well, yeah. why why LinkedIn has been incredible? Yeah, exactly. So I've been pushing content on LinkedIn. I do play on Instagram a lot, but on LinkedIn, I have raised a ton of money. And my part of part of the game is just networking with, like at the fund level with these guys, and for me, it's worked really, really, really well. 
What about getting good talent, like hiring good talent from yeah. LinkedIn too? LinkedIn, great. Yep. Undervalued. I would say LinkedIn is, is, it's is, the new social is, under, media is undervalued and people that are not investing in that from a business perspective are, are missing the boat. Ray hates LinkedIn. Ray. I don't like LinkedIn because I get a lot of random requests. Ignore them. I just, it bothers me. It's like a complexion. You've got to harness Ray the OCD. Ray is the complete opposite of you, Mark. Ray <laughs> wants complete privacy and he wants no one bothering That's him. Why Ray no, is, if if someone has my contact yeah. info, they can send me a request. But it shouldn't just be open feed. Ray reports you know? everyone. He got all the connections. They're like, I do not know this person. I do not know this person. Mark has spam. <laughs> Mark has spam. Well, usually Inappropriate contact. Usually they're all like, oh, you need money? And like, yeah, no, I don't need your money. I advise money. small business owners on their wealth management. Ray, you have 15 <laughs> minutes for a call. Here's my Calendly link. No, I don't have 15 minutes for a call. Get out of here. Uh, all right. So we've talked about autonomous parking, autonomous vehicles. Uh, well... To pick up on our theme earlier that people are lazy, mm-hmm. myself included, I'm going to say underrated. Very underrated. Very underrated. Yeah. I, I think, I think I, I don't know that we're there yet, but I could absolutely see myself getting into- Our kids might not even make it right. driving. The, the right. problem with them is right. that- I would for, agree with that. Everyone's so emotional about it. For If one person dies from an autonomous vehicle driving, it's going to be the end of the world. But yet how many pedestrians die every day from idiots who are texting and driving- yeah, there's going to be a lot of fail safes. It's, it's, yeah, there's there's going to be fail safes, but it can work. I mean, you can look. I know it's a track system, but you get on like a people mover at an airport. There's nobody driving that. There's, it's all electronically controlled and sensor driven. I mean, that's the biggest. I don't have issues with the autonomy autonomous vehicles, but the biggest thing I worry about is like the hacking thing. If someone can yeah. hack a pipeline <laughs> and just take that, me, it's like someone <laughs> Next can thing hack I know, I'm a vehicle. On my way to Wisconsin well, to be kidnapped. To yeah. be fair, the pipeline's probably like 1960 mainframe computer. That's true. true. <laughs> I just hope they take me somewhere nice. Yeah. They're not. If they're, I'm kidnapped, can it be to like not. Miami yeah. or Key West? They're usually not. I'd rather not be stored in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, well, with that, Mike, we appreciate you coming back, joining us in our new studio. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening, subscribing, liking, sharing. Send us a note, so however you want to communicate with us. Mark, what are our options here? Instagram, uh, real estate addicts, or otherwise you can find Ray on LinkedIn. <laughs> Or Mike Procopio, Procopio Companies. Thank you again, Mike. Awesome. Thanks Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cheers.